0: chapter 11 of ardath by marie corelli this librivox recording is in the public domain part 2 in Al-Kiris. that which hath been is now and that which is to be hath already been and god requireth that which is past ecclesiastes chapter 11 the marvelous city profound silence profound unconsciousness oblivious rest such are the soothing ministrations of kindly nature to the overburdened spirit nature who in her tender wisdom and maternal solicitude will not permit us to suffer beyond a certain limit excessive pain whether it be physical or mental cannot last long and human anguish wound up to its utmost quivering pitch finds at the very height of desolation a strange hushing Lithian calm even so it was with Theos alwyn drowned in the deep stillness of a merciful swoon he had sunk as it were out of life, far out of the furthest reach or sense of time in some vast unsounded gulf of shadows where earth and heaven were alike forgotten how long he lay thus he never knew but he was roused at last roused by the pressure of something cold and sharp against his throat and on languidly opening his eyes he found himself surrounded by a small body of men armour who leaning on tall pikes which glistened brilliantly in the full sunlight surveyed him with looks of derisive amusement one of these closer to him than the rest and who seemed from his dress and bearing to be some officer in authority held instead of a pike a short sword the touch of whose pointed steel blade had been the effectual means of awakening him from his lethargy how now said this personage in a rough voice as he withdrew his weapon what idle fellow art thou traitor or spy fool thou must be and breaker of the king's law else thou hadst never dared to bask in such swine-like ease outside the gates of alcharis the magnificent alcharis the magnificent what was the man talking about uttering a hasty exclamation alwyn staggered to his feet with an effort and shading his eyes from the hot glare of the sun stared bewilderedly at his interlocutor what what is this he stammered dreamily i do not understand you i-i have slept on the field of ardath the soldiers burst into a loud laugh in which their leader joined thou hast drunk deep my friend he observed putting up his sword with a sharp clatter into its shining sheath what name sayest thou ardath we know it not nor dost thou i warrant when sober go to make for thy home speedily Ay, ay. the flavour of good wine clings to thy mouth still tis a pleasant sweetness that i myself am partial to and i can pardon those who like thee love it somewhat too well away and thank the gods thou hast fallen into the hands of the king's guard rather than lycia's priestly patrol see the gates are open in with thee and cool thy head at the first fountain the gates what gates removing his hand from his eyes alwyn gazed around confusedly he was standing on an open stretch of level road dustily white and dry with long-continued heat and right in front of him was an enormously high wall topped with rows of bristling iron spikes and guarded by the gates alluded to huge massive portals seemingly made of finely moulded brass and embellished on either side by thick round stone watch-towers from whose summits scarlet pennons drooped idly in the windless air amazed and full of a vague trembling terror he fixed his wondering looks once more upon his strange companions who in their turn regarded him with cool military indifference i must be mad or dreaming he thought then growing suddenly desperate he stretched out his hands with a wild appealing gesture i swear to you i know nothing of this place he cried i never saw it before some trick has been played on me who brought me here where is Elzir, the hermit the ruins of babylon where is good god what fearful freak of fate is this the soldiers laughed again their commander looked at him a little curiously nay art thou one of the escaped of lycia's lovers he asked suspiciously and has the silver nectar failed of its usual action and driven thy senses to the winds that thou ravest thus for if thou art a stranger and knowest not of us how speakest thou our language why wearest thou the garb of our citizens alwyn shrank and shivered as though he had received a deadening blow an awful inexplicable chill horror froze his blood it was true he understood the language spoken it was perfectly familiar to him more so than his own native tongue stop what was his native tongue he tried to think and the sick fear at his heart grew stronger he could not remember a word of it and his dress he glanced at it dismayed and appalled he had not noticed it till now it bore some resemblance to the costume of ancient greece and consisted of a white linen tunic and loose upper vest both garments being kept in place by a belt of silver from this belt depended a sheathed dagger a square writing tablet and a pencil-shaped implement which he immediately recognized as the antique form of stylus his feet were shod with sandals his arms were bare to the shoulder and clasped at the upper part by two broad silver armlets richly chased noting all these details the fantastic awfulness of his position smote him with redoubled force and he felt as a madman may feel when his impending doom has not entirely asserted itself when only grotesque and leering suggestions of madness cloud his brain when hideous faces dimly discerned loom out of the chaos of his nightly visions and when all the air seems solid darkness with one white line of fire cracking it asunder in the midst and that the fire of his own approaching frenzy such a delirium of agony possessed Alwyn at that moment he could have shrieked laughed groaned wept and fallen down in the dust before these bearded armed men praying them to slay him with their weapons there where he stood and put him mercifully and at once out of his mysterious misery but an invisible influence stronger than himself prevented him from becoming altogether the victim of his own torturing emotions and he remained erect and still as a marble figure with a wondering white piteous face of such unutterable affliction that the officer who watched him seemed touched in advance clapped his shoulder in a friendly manner come come he said thou needst fear nothing we are not the men to blab of thy trespass against the city's edict for of a truth there is too much whispering away of young and goodly lives nowadays what thou art not the first gay gallant nor wilt thou be the last that hast seen the world turn upside down in a haze of love and late feasting if thou hast not slept long enough why sleep again and thou wilt but not here he broke off abruptly a distant clatter of horses hoofs was heard as of one galloping at full speed the soldiers started and assumed an attitude of attention their leader muttered something like an oath and, seizing alwyn by the arm hurried him to the brass gates which as he had said stood open and literally thrust him through in in my lad he urged with rough kindliness thou hast a face fairer than that of the king's own minstrel and why wouldst thou die for sake of an extra cup of wine if lycia is to blame for this scattering of thy wits take heed thou do not venture near her more it is ill jesting with the serpent's sting get thee hence quickly and be glad of thy life thou hast many years before thee yet in which to play the lover and fool with this enigmatical speech he signed to his men to follow him they all filed through the gates which closed after them with a jarring clang a dark bearded face peered out of a narrow loophole in one of the watch-towers and a deep voice called what of the hour the officer raised his gauntleted hand and answered promptly peace and safety salutation cried the voice again salutation responded the officer and with a reassuring nod and smile to the bewildered Alwyn, he gathered his little band around him and they all marched off the measured clink clank of their footsteps making metallic music as they wheeled round a corner and disappeared from sight left to himself alwyn's first idea was to sit down in some quiet corner and endeavour calmly to realise what strange and cruel thing had chanced to him but happening to look up he saw the bearded face in the watch-tower observing him suspiciously he therefore roused himself sufficiently to walk away on and on scarce heeding whither he went till he had completely lost sight of those great cold glittering portals which had shut him against his will within the walls of a large splendid and populous city yes hopelessly perplexing and maddening as it was there could be no doubt of this fact and though he again and again tried to convince himself that he was labouring under some wild and exceptional hallucination his senses all gave evidence of the actual reality of his situation he felt he moved he heard he saw he was even beginning to be conscious of hunger thirst and fatigue the further he went the more gorgeous grew the surroundings his unguided steps wandered as it seemed of their own accord into wide streets paved entirely with mosaics and lined on both sides with lofty picturesque and palace-like buildings he crossed and recrossed broad avenues shaded by tall feathery palms and masses of graceful flowering foliage he passed rows upon rows of brilliant shops whose frontages glittered with the most costly and beautiful wares of every description and as he strolled about aimlessly uncertain whither to go he was constantly jostled by the pressing throngs of people that crowded the thoroughfares all more or less apparently bent on pleasure to judge from their animated countenances and frequent bursts of gay laughter the men were for the most part arrayed like himself though here and there he met some few whose garments were of soft silk instead of linen who wore gold belts in place of silver and who carried their daggers and sheaths that were literally encrusted all over with flashing jewels. As he advanced more into the city centre, the crowds increased so much so that the noise of traffic and clatter of tongues became quite deafening to his ears, richly ornamented chariots drawn by spirited horses and driven by personages whose attire seemed to be a positive blaze of gold and gems rolled past in a continuous procession, fruit sellers carrying their lovely, luscious merchandise in huge gilded moss wreathed baskets stood at almost every corner flower girls fair as flowers bore aloft in their gracefully upraised arms wide wicker trays overflowing with odorous blossoms tied into clusters and wreaths and there were countless numbers of curious little open square carts to which mules wearing collars of bells were harnessed the tinkle tinkle of their constant passage through the throng making incessant merry music these vehicles bore the names of traders purveyors and wine and dealers in all sorts of provisions but with the exception of such necessary business caterers the streets were full of elegant loungers of both sexes who seemed to have nothing whatever to do but amuse themselves the women were especially noticeable for their lazy grace of manner they glided to and fro with an indolent floating ease that was indescribably bewitching the more so as many of them were endowed with exquisite beauty of form and feature beauty greatly enhanced by the artistic simplicity of their costume this was composed of a straight clinging gown slightly gathered at the throat and bound about the waist with a twisted girdle of silver gold and in some cases jewels their arms like those of the men were bare and their small delicate feet were protected by sandals fastened with cross bands of ribbon coquettishly knotted the arrangement of their hair was evidently a matter of personal taste and not the slavish copying of any set fashion some allowed it to hang in loosely flowing abundance over their shoulders others had it closely braided or coiled carelessly in a thick soft mass at the top of the head but all without exception wore white veils veils long transparent and filmy as gossamer which they flung back or draped about them at their pleasure and presently after watching several of these fairy creatures pass by and listening to their low laughter and dulcet speech a sudden memory leaped into alwyn's confused brain an old old memory that seemed to have lain hidden among his thoughts for centuries the memory of a story called lamia told in verse as delicious as music aptly played who wrote the story he could not tell but he recollected that it was about a snake in the guise of a beautiful woman and these women in this strange city looked as if they also had a snake-like origin there was something so soft and lithe and undulating about their movements and gestures weary of walking distracted by the ever-increasing clamour and feeling lost among the crowd he at last perceived a wide and splendid square surrounded with stately houses and having in its centre a huge white granite obelisk which towered like a pillar of snow against the dense blue of the sky below it a massively sculptured lion, also of white granite lay couchant holding a shield between its paws on either side two fine fountains were in full play the delicate spiral columns of water being dashed up beyond the extreme point of the obelisk so that its stone face was wet and glistening with the tossing rainbow shower here he turned aside out of the main thoroughfare there were tall shady trees all about and fantastically carved benches underneath them he determined to sit down and rest and steadily think out his involved and peculiar condition of mind as he passed the sculptured line he saw certain words engraved on the shield it held they were through the line and the serpent shall Alcaris flourish there was no disorder in his intelligence concerning this sentence he was able to read it clearly and comprehensively and yet what was the language in which it was written and how did he come to know it so thoroughly with a sigh that was almost a groan he sank listlessly on a seat and burying his head in his hands to shut out all the strange sights which so direfully perplexed his reason he began to subject himself to a patient serious cross-examination in the first place who was he part of the required answer came readily theos theos what his brain refused to clear up this point it repeated theos theos over and over again but no more shuddering with a vague dread he asked himself the next question from whence had he come the reply was direct and decisive from ardath but what was ardath it was neither a country nor a city it was a waste field where he had seen ah whom had he seen he struggled furiously with himself for some response to this none came total dumb blankness was the sole result of the inward rack to which he subjected his thoughts and where had he been before he ever saw Ardat? had he no recollection of any other place any other surroundings absolutely none torture his wits as he would absolutely none this was frightful, incredible surely surely he mused piteously there must have been something in his life before the name of RDAP had swamped his intelligence he lifted his head his face had grown ashen gray and rigid in the deep extremity of his speechless trouble and terror there was a sick faintness at his heart and rising he moved unsteadily to one of the great fountains and there dipping his hands in the spray he dashed some drops on his brow and eyes then making a cup of the hollowed palms he drank thirstily several draughts of the cool sweet water it seemed to allay the fever in his blood he looked around him with a wild vague smile Alcaris, of course he was in Alcaris. why was he so distressed about it it was a pleasant city there was much to see and also much to learn at that instant a loud blast of silver-toned trumpets split the air followed by a storm-roar of distant acclamation surging up from thousands of throats crowds of men and women suddenly flocked into the square across it and out of it again all pressing impetuously in one direction and urged for it by the general rush as well as by a corresponding impulse within himself he flung all meditation to the winds and plunged recklessly into the shouting on sweeping throng he was borne swiftly with it down a broad avenue lined with grand old trees and decked with flying flags and streamers to the margin of a noble river as still as liquid amber in the wide sheen and heat of the noonday sun a splendid marble embankment adorned with colossal statues girdled it on both sides and here under silken awnings of every colour pattern and design an enormous multitude was assembled its white attired closely-packed ranks stretching far away into the blue distance on either hand all the attention of this vast concourse appeared to be centred on the slow approach of a strange gilded vessel that with great curved prow and scarlet sails flapping idly in the faint breeze was gliding leisurely yet majestically over the azure blaze of the smooth water huge oars like golden fins projected from her sides and dipped lazily every now and then apparently wielded by the hands of invisible rowers whose united voices supplied the lack of the needful wind and as he caught sight of this cumbrously quaint galley theos moved by sudden interest elbowed his way resolutely through the dense crowd till he gained the edge of the embankment where leaning against the marble balustrade he watched with a curious fascination its gradual advance nearer and nearer it came brighter and brighter glowed the vivid scarlet of its sails a solemn sound of stringed music rippled enchantingly over the glassy river mingling itself with the wild shouting of the populace shouting that seemed to rend the hollow vault of heaven nearer and nearer and now the vessel stood round and curtsied forward its propelling fins moved more rapidly another graceful sweep and lo it fronted the surging throng like a glittering fantastic apparition drawn out of dreamland Theo stared at it dazzled and stricken with a half-blind breathless wonder was ever a ship like this he thought a ship that sparkled all over as though it were carved out of one great burning jewel golden hangings falling in rich loose folds draped it gorgeously from stem to stern gold cordage looped the sails on the deck a band of young gals clad in white and crowned with flowers knelt playing softly on quaintly shaped instruments and a cluster of tiny semi-nude boys fair as young cupids were grouped in pretty reposeful attitudes along the edge of the gilded prow holding garlands of red and yellow blossoms which trailed down to the surface of the water beneath as a half-slumbering man may note a sudden brilliant glare of sunshine flashing on the wall of his sleeping chamber so theos at first viewed this floating pageant in confused uncomprehending bewilderment when all at once his stupefied senses were roused to hot life and pulsing action with a smothered cry of ecstasy he fixed his straining eager gaze on one supreme fair figure the central glory of the marvellous picture a woman or a goddess a rainbow flame in mortal shape a spirit of earth air fire water or a thought of beauty embodied into human sweetness and made perfect clothed in gold attire and girdled with gems she stood leaning indolently against the middle mast of the vessel her great sombre dusky eyes resting drowsily on the swarming masses of people whose frenzied roar of rapture and admiration sounded like the breaking of billows presently with a slow solemn smile on her haughtily curved lips she extended one hand and arm snow-white and glittering with jewels and made an imperious gesture to command silence instantly a profound hush ensued lifting a long slender white wand at the end of which could be plainly seen the gleaming silver head of a serpent she described three circles in the air with a perfectly even majestic motion and as she did this her marvellous eyes turned toward theos and dwelt steadily upon him he met her gaze fully absorbing into his inmost soul the mesmeric spell of her matchless loveliness he saw without actually realizing the circumstance that the whole vast multitude around him had fallen prostrate in an attitude of worship and still he stood erect drinking in the warmth of those dark witching sleepy orbs that flashed at him half resentfully half mockingly and then the beauty burdened ship began to sway gently and move onwards she that wondrous siren queen was vanishing vanishing she and her kneeling maidens and music and flowers vanishing where with a start he sprang from his post of observation he felt he must go after her at all risks he must find out her place of abode her rank her title her name all at once he was roughly seized by a dozen or more of hands loud angry voices shouted on all sides a traitor a traitor an infidel a spy a malcontent into the river with him he refuses worship he denies the gods bear him to the tribunal and in a trice of time he was completely surrounded and hemmed in by an exasperated gesticulating crowd whose ominous looks and indignant mutterings were plainly significant of prompt hostility with a few agile movements he succeeded in wrenching himself free from the grasp of his assailants and standing among them like a stag at bay he cried what have i done how have i offended speak or is it the fashion of alciris to condemn a man unheard no one answered this appeal the very directness of it seemed to increase the irritation of the mob that pressing closer and closer began to jostle and hustle him in a threatening manner that boded ill for his safety he was again taken prisoner and struggling in the grasp of his captors he was preparing to fight for his life as best he could against the general fury when the sound of musical strings swept carelessly upwards in the ascending scale struck sweetly through the clamour a youth arrayed in crimson and carrying a small golden harp marched sedately between the serried ranks that parted right and left at his approach thus clearing the way for another personage who followed him a graceful adonis-like personage in glistening white attire who wore a myrtle wreath on his dark abundant locks and whom the populace forgetting for a moment the cause of their recent disturbance greeted with a ringing and ecstatic shout of hail Saluma!" again and again this cry was uplifted till far away on the extreme outskirts of the throng the joyous echo of it was repeated faintly yet distinctly hail hail sa, luma. End of chapter 11.